Show number 32 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talk Trek. Y ahora, mira el culito con las chicas sexy, LT y la gatita de la jungla. And we're definitely going to have to use that from time to time. From time yes, to time it's because great. it is so funny. <laughs> oh my goodness! <sighs> now, if we can get the guy from BBC Well <laughs> to do it, that would be great too. Okay, so here we are. This is show number thirty-two God. in a series of an infinite number. That's right, I think. And um, we've got some great stuff to talk about for this particular show. And I think we're just going to jump right into the thing that we just finished watching, right. which was a new biography of William Shatner that was just shown on the Arts and Entertainment Channel, A&E, what, last week? Uh, just the other night. Just the other night. They had shown this before. Well, no. Well, some of it, though, right? This is the thing. I knew it was going to be on, and I thought, okay, it's a rerun of the one they did five, six years okay. ago, which I have seen. And then luckily I was made aware, no, this is new. It's 2006 and it's supposed to have um, some interviews with James Spader and Candace Bergen. So obviously it's updated. So taped it and we got to see it. And it is updated. Lots is. of new stuff. Lots of wonderful shots that I had never seen before. No, it was great. It was really good. And even though they did it in the faux Star Trek style by saying Shatner log and giving dates and kind of framing everything in this the Star Trek view screen, which is so corny. Yes. Just drop it already. Um, they, they had really good interviews, I thought. Mm-hmm. They lined up people from Boston Legal. And they talked with his his wife, his current wife, and they talked mm-hmm. with his daughters and um, Nimoy. His daughters and the Nimoy ones were recycled from the old one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, obviously the Boston legal people, right? That was new. And his his wife, his, his wife, wife, yeah, Elizabeth. that was new. So it was really really good, and we um, are attempting by. Oh, sorry about that. <laughs> I hit the play button again. Tell the mariachis to go away, away guys. <laughs> take a break. Take a break. Sorry, sorry. Um, Take Cinco. <laughs> that wasn't even funny, and I'm laughing. Um, okay, and I've totally forgotten what I was going to say because the mariachi band just His wife me. was so in it. Oh, oh, so through the miracle of either extremely low-tech or extremely high-tech, we're going to bring you some screen caps from it. The low-tech was, again, taking pictures of the screen. Right. Um, but there was some weird, you know, video rolling stuff going on, so we might try to, to nab it off of BitTorrent or something and do it that way. But there were some really beautiful pictures of him as a very young man, mm-hmm. which were nice, and then some other um, just gorgeous headshots of him that neither of us had really seen before. And there were a couple 
where he was in a, like a black either round neck shirt or, or low turtleneck mm-hmm. that were stunning black and white shots. Yeah. And then right after that, they showed the cover of Transform Man, and I noticed it was the same shirt. And I said, I think those are rejected mm-hmm. cover shots, or else they're the... Was it a fold-out album? Do you know? I've of, never, are they interior I have of, never on the se- album liner? I have never seen that album. I've never actually I've, held it. Remember I said I saw this, the the DV, the CD down at yeah. Fry's? I might run down there and see if, I can, if it's still there. Yeah. It was in the Sinatra section, so nobody's going to find it. Um, <laughs> because those were gorgeous, stunning shots. They it was were. a profile one that just oh, was drooly. And it was interesting, too, that a lot of... Uh, photographs from his childhood and his mm-hmm. teen years. Most of them I have. I'm going to put in a plug for this because I think all Shatner fans should have this. Back in like, I don't know, is this from the 80s? Let's see if there's a date. Is there somewhere in here? There's a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Special edition, blah, 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 blah. It's, yeah. a, it's a magazine. Called... It's a magazine called Enterprise Incidents, and they used to bring these out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they I, they weren't fan club things. They were commercial, but it cost $3.50. But anyway, they were later repackaged into some other things, but the originals are really the ones to try to get. And the one that is... 84. 84. Okay, special edition spotlight on William Shatner has so many incredible pictures in it. And I think a lot of the stuff in this came from his fan club or himself, you know, mm-hmm. somehow they, they had gotten a lot of his personal family photos and things. And the other thing I like about the Enterprise Incident magazines, and I used to try to buy them when I was at cons whenever I could find them, is they have so many off-the-set shots mm-hmm. of them, you know, still in their costumes and stuff, but relaxing. Like, this one has a whole spread on him and, and Leonard and uh, DeForest ha- eating barbecue out in right. the parking lot That's in their right. Star Trek uniforms, <laughs> which is pretty pretty bizarre and pretty funny. But um, so some of the pictures that they showed are also in this yeah, magazine. Yeah, it says William Shatner's life story in pictures, and it's a, probably about twenty different um, mm-hmm. black and white photographs of him that are reproduced here from babyhood up through his marriage his, to his, his marriage. first marriage. Yeah, yeah, and there's his, there's one with his kids is like the last one, and it, then we're into something else new. But anyway, they're they're really fun fan things. But I, I really think all Shatner fans should have the special edition spotlight on William Shatner. Enterprise incidents. Yeah. Might be able to pick it up on eBay or, like I said, you can con. frequently get them at cons. And there is a con coming up this fall, the big one, Creation Con. Yes. And well, the, the, the really big Creation Con is L.A. Grand Slam, and that's next month. That's mm-hmm. in March. But we're not going, so it's not that big. No. It's the one in Sacramento that you want to be aware of. If that you want to go to. And yeah. we have found out that, that um, other fans of our yes. show are going to be there. So we will definitely be there. We will have our um, New Zealand correspondent, Gregory Gray, with us as both protection and lookout. Did I tell you he told me he was going to do that for us? Look out for what? Well, like when we're His on the... Butt. No, no, no. When we're on the floor in the dealer's room mm-hmm. and we set up our three-card Monty table and oh. look at his butt shirts, yes. Gregory said he would be the lookout. Okay. So that if, like, the police or the security came, he would say, like, psst, psst, you know, pack it up, and we could just grab everything and run to a different location. We'll have to rehearse all that. Yeah, definitely. Okay. But That'd we will be, cool. be doing that, so we'll have our, our Monty table, our cardboard yeah. box. Anyway, the A&E biography. <laughs> now that we've wandered completely off topic. One of the really interesting things is he told this story. I've heard him tell before, but I've also heard Leonard tell it. <laughs> yeah. The one about taking a shower and coming out and a fan has stolen his clothes. Yeah. I've heard both of them tell that story as having happened to him personally. Yes, I agree. The story that, that Leonard told, I think, was actually in one of his books, either I am Spock or I'm not Spock or one of those. <laughs> I might be Spock. I might be. It too, if it's Tuesday, <laughs> I am Spock. <laughs> really. 
So I remember reading that story specifically. So maybe they just at some point decided we can share this story. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Now, the other thing that we learned, and I guess we're going to need to verify this, is the narration said that while he was at McGill, yes. that he was writing and producing radio plays, which we knew that yes. he was very interested in that. It said that he was also doing radio musicals. No, it wasn't radio. They weren't radio? No. But they showed a picture of him at the... Yeah, but that was just a picture. Um, so I like, thought the implication was when he was at McGill as a student, you know, he did a yeah. lot of plays there, and I knew he wrote and directed many plays, but they were saying they were musicals. Okay, so this was the question we had posed several shows ago. Was William Shatner ever in a musical? And if we can find out the answer to this question, I'm going to be really happy because that will be one more thing to check off on the list of things that he's done. Yeah. Musicals. Even if it was in college, it doesn't matter. It was I'm trying to conceive of the musical written by Bill. <laughs> It would be all about Bill, pretty much. Well, I'm thinking of the music. <laughs> well, you know, maybe he didn't write the music. Maybe he just wrote the libretto. <laughs> okay, okay. He gave the music to some girl that he was banging. Who yeah. Was in the music department he was like, honey, could you take care of this for me? And she was like, sure, sure, sure. Billy. <laughs> Billy. I'd be glad to. I'd be happy to. Yeah, maybe that was it. Yeah. Co- co-writer. Co-writer. Well, we're going to have to research this and see what we can find. He I was mean, the Richard Rogers of McGill University. Yeah. Boy, I'm wondering, you know, if you could get a McGill yearbook. Oh, I, I've got photos. No, 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 but the actual yearbook, which uh-huh. would probably have a list of, like, student productions in it. Because college yearbooks do that, oh, like yeah. high school yearbooks do. I mean, mine did. Yeah. Well, I've got a screen cap of a, a spread from one of the McGill yeah. yearbooks. And I remember when this yearbook was auctioned on eBay, it went very... Very pricey. It I'm got sure. out of my price range. But the person who was selling it was very smart the way they marketed it. They said, imagine taking this to a con to have him <gasps> sign. And oh, it's, wow. you know, his own, I mean, not his personal yeah. yearbook, but the yearbook the with yearbook. his photos in it. Wow. Well, we're going to have to do a little more information yeah. gathering on that. But it could mean that William Shatner was in a musical. Yep. Which would mean he conquered pretty much most most forms of media that I can think of. Anyway. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he's ever done a drunken reading of Brecht in a bar. Because I've done that. <laughs> Probably. Do you know, Brecht is falling down funny when you and the audience are drunk. <laughs> Just huge laughs. Humongous. With or without an accent? No, oh, without just an straight, accent. Just straight? Just straight. <laughs> just never would have expected that. Oh, let's see. Were there more things we had to say about A&E? Um, let's see. They talked a lot about Boston Legal. Oh, yes. Um, everybody who spoke about him was talking about his incredible energy level and how and, he's doing so many things all the time. And it was nice to, um, the little bit, bit with James Spader when he was saying how their chemistry as actors and as those two characters mm-hmm. clicked right from the start. It was also fun. They showed a little clip from... Oh, gee. The thing that David E. Kelly and the cast of Boston Legal were all at. Some oh, Hollywood yeah, yeah. That was interesting, thing. yeah. And um, I had never seen a clip from that before. I mean, I'd seen a photo, but I'd never seen any of the the actual events. So that was kind of fun to see that mm-hmm. little bit that he was, you know, talking about his... Kelly was talking about his ideas for the character and how Bill just came in and just hit it from day one, yep. which doesn't surprise me at all. Yep, that's great. But I like that Kelly said, and he came in and, and he just inhabited this character, and I thought, that, that is it. Mm-hmm. And you and I were talking, the last time we were watching Boston Legal together, 
about, and you brought this up on one of the shows, that you tend to use the character mm-hmm. name and the actor name interchangeably. And it, I got to thinking about it. And when I'm watching Boston Legal, most of the time I'm, I'm not thinking, okay, when is Bill going to be on? Or what is Bill doing? Or look at, look at Bill, look at Bill's butt. <laughs> I am watching Denny Crane. Yeah. And I think that speaks volumes about him as an actor because mm-hmm. he's so closely associated as Kirk. And he's such a big persona in his own right mm-hmm. as this, this character, William Shatner, that for him to disappear into... A character that way, so that I'm thinking mm-hmm. it's Danny Crane. That's pretty amazing because there are so many actors who never, ever, ever disappear. That's true. I, I totally you're always agree. watching them play this. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's funny when when we were talking about this, I realized that the one person on that show that I tend to do it with more than anybody else is Spader, because that the character of Alan Shore really is James Spader in a lot of ways, mm. especially in his, his vocal delivery, in his mm-hmm. mannerisms. I was really struck by the fact that in one of the interviews with James Spader, not Alan Shore, when he's talking about Shatner, he uses the very same hand gestures. Mm-hmm. They're, they're very stylized and they're instantly recognizable. Like you see him kind of do this thing with his hand when he points and it's like, right. oh, that's Spader, but that's also Alan Shore. That's a very, you know, specialized thing that he does. And, mm-hmm. and I tend to, it's not that I'm seeing James Spader playing Alan Shore, but that they're they're such they're one in the same thing. Right. Now, see, Candace Bergen for me is getting better, but she doesn't disappear. There isn't a Shirley Schmidt mm-hmm. that I think of as an individual. Mm-hmm. You know, um, certainly not the way Denny is a complete individual mm-hmm. on his own. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah. That's good. So we very much enjoyed that. Yes. Thank you, A and E. And this is the other thing. How many... A&E's been doing these biographies 10 years? Oh, more than that, probably, yeah. I mean, a long, long time. How many people have accomplished so much since it was done that they had to do a second <laughs> one? And, I mean, this wasn't just a rehash and we we tack on a little thing at the end. Like, when somebody famous dies... They do that They'll rerun the it, yeah. and then at the end they'll go, and on Tuesday, blah, 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 blah. This wasn't that. This had to be... This had tons of new material, and it had to be recut, reintegrated, given a different arc, because... The guy is doing so much. He's done so much since the last time around. It's utterly amazing. Um, we were also talking as they were showing him being inducted into the Broadcasting Cable Hall of Fame that he's one of the few people whose career has spanned all of television. Like, he started when television was live dramas, mm-hmm. and he's a star, a superstar in a show that's on right now in 2006. And how that's many amazing. people who were working in those uh-huh. early TV days... Let's say at his age. Yeah. Our stars. Are still working. And and popular and doing great work and getting Emmys. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. I know. He's incredible. And I also like the comment one of his daughters made was a friend of hers had said to her, your dad is a roadmap for all of us mm-hmm. on how to be old. Yep. You know, what it takes because or, or, because he he's not. The guy's 75. Yeah. It's amazing. And I think, you know, I think of people I know that age, Mm -hmm. and it's like, no, no. He does everything. Well, this is a good time to mention that both his birthday and Leonard's birthday are coming up. That's right. As is mine. As is yours, and I have have something special planned. So I think we need to do a special um, broadcast of this show in honor of their two birthdays, which are only days apart. Okay, well... Um, yeah. So we'll just we'll just have to think of some stuff to do. Okay. That'll be a special birthday edition for them because, you know, they totally deserve it. We'll have it. birthday tiramisu. <laughs> just no chocolate. No, no chocolate. chocolate. Okay. 
Um, okay, I think that that was really good. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we needed to say about that, but I don't think so. No, I think we covered it. It was it was a lot of fun. I hope you all uh, got to see it. Yeah. And if you didn't, you know, they do That'll get rerun. Yeah. But also, most, if not all, of the A&E biographies eventually do come out on DVD. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the one you can get right now is the one that was shown five years ago right. or so. And I would recommend waiting for the new one. But that was, that was just... So exciting to me that they did a second one, and that it was really well done. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also one of the pe- per- one of the commentators mm-hmm. in it was James Schnockenberg. Oh, right, the guy who wrote uh, the Encyclopedia Shatnerica, which I thought was pretty funny because I know many Shatner fans hate that book. They feel it's too snarky mm-hmm. and it's too mean, and he didn't come across at all as no. a, a snarky, mean guy. So I kind of think maybe he's a fan, like in the same way you and I are fans, that mm-hmm. we think Bill is great, but we can also poke fun, and and that doesn't stop us from loving him for, you know, some of the things mm-hmm. he's done that just make us kind of roll our eyes and go, oh, my God. Well, well, here's the thing. I mean, I'll, I'll just say this before we take our first break, but um, when they have to do this again in five years, because they will have to do it again <laughs> in five years, because he will have done, I don't know, he's going to have a Nobel Prize by then. Yeah, yeah. Like that. We'll be on that show. Oh, yeah. Because we will be the Shatner experts at that point. Well, we already are. Well, I just mean, you know, people will, media people will be looking to us okay. to be the now, ones on the show. I'm sort of holding my hands up to make a TV <laughs> screen, and I'm watching yes, you. Mr. DeMille. I'm watching you talk about William Shatner, but what I'm imagining is down in the corner where it says, Lena Taylor, butt girl. <laughs> good if they're going to do it and we're going to be on they, they have to do the two of us together but girls. Like girls and of course we'll be like interrupting each other and going no wait wait because <laughs> that's how we talk because that's how we talk but uh yeah so in five years we'll be on that show i know we will okay yeah well let's get our facelifts now <laughs> okay i'll uh i'll call it my bank okay so <laughs> Let's make it facelifts at your bank. No, to get the money. Oh, the money. You know what I've heard, though? People have told me that it's really cheap to do it when you um, do a trip, like if you go to Poland. They have really good plastic surgeons in Poland. This Polish guy I used to work with told me about that. Well, you know, um, there's a, a woman I've been going to for 10, 15 years for, for facials and stuff, and uh-huh. she's Polish. Mm-hmm. Lovely, lovely woman, and most of her staff is Polish. And she told me that um, everybody in Europe knows that you don't even want to go to a spa that doesn't have a lot of poles working because mm-hmm. they're the good ones. They are. It's true. They're very hardworking. Well, you know, the, my, my friend Andy, he, he was great. He was always offering. He's like, you know, we'll go to Poland. You stay with my family. We'll get you a good plastic surgeon for whatever you want. You know, you want the facelift. You want the tummy tuck. Anything like that. It's no problem. He would always tell me that if we wanted anybody taken care of, he knew these two guys who lived in Hayward, these Russians, who would do it for a bottle of vodka. Are they like the, the Russian version of Dr. Nick? They were. Says, the Poland upstairs medical school? For a bottle of vodka, they'd do anything. Are they going to drink it before they do this stuff? No, no, no. You give it to them after. Okay. So, but whatever you needed. These See, I'm, I'm, I'm too scared of those things. I mean, I'm scared of surgery <laughs> anyway. So I'm, I'll just get old and ugly rather than, than run the, the risk. Oh, okay. I, I think we need to stop. Okay. <laughs> now. Because it's getting really long. But now everybody in Poland, all our fans will get, they'll go, yes, we are the best. And they're going to send us. Look at his butt in Polish. Oh, please, look at his butt in Polish. How I would love that. That would be so good. 
Okay, now we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back. We are doing an episode in this show. Oh, we are? Okay. We are. We absolutely are. We have some other stuff, but we're going to do one. We don't know what it is yet, but we're definitely going to be doing one. So just hang tight. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Okay, gang, you know the drill. Send us email at lookathisbutt at gmail.com. Leave comments at lookathisbutt.blogspot.com. We want to hear from you, and you know we're going to read your email on the show. This entire podcast recorded on an Apple PowerBook with GarageBand. T S S F F P E N N side 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 access. Access granted. The Sci-Fi Podcast Network has collected together some of the best science fiction, fantasy, and gaming podcasts out there. The Sci-Fi Podcast Network has a lot of great programming that you might be missing. The goal of this podcast is to showcase some of the great shows available on the network so that you don't miss out on all the fun. Each episode will contain an interview with a TSFPN podcaster and clips from their show. I'll also play some of the fun, funny, and cool clips from some of the other TSFPN shows from this week. To start listening to TSFPN Sci-Fi Access, just visit TSFPN.com. It is so crowded in here. Well, will you just move over? Just let, over. Me, let, me, no, let me get by. Don't. I'm pressed up against the glass here. I can't even breathe. Well, get those other guys God, to move. Just move. Just oh. move. God, I wish someone would sneeze so a few people would die. <laughs> okay, guess what episode we watched? <laughs> Actually, they should know because I think we said like three or four shows ago that this was the show we were going to watch. So, Well, if we're not paying that close attention, <laughs> why should we expect our loyal listeners well, to know? Well, you know. Okay, so it was The Mark of Gideon. Right. A third season episode. Third season episode, which we knew immediately because of the shirt that he was wearing, Kirk, um, his hair, which was far too long, and also because of Uhura's hairstyle. Yes. Because she had that weird bouffanty thing right. happening. Yeah. And um, the other thing we noticed is, of course, this had to be an incredibly cheap episode to produce <laughs> because they were able to just use ship sets. Right. And one additional set, which was the chamber. Council yeah, chamber. The, yeah, which was probably like one of the conference rooms that they just redressed. And the other way you could see um, that it was a third season episode where they had no budget is that um, trainees or monkeys or something were handling the lighting and the makeup. Yeah, very bad. A five-year-old with crayons would not do that kind of makeup. Everybody's face looked dirty. I mean, you really kept wishing they would say cut and and run in and and wipe some (laughs) of it off of them. Everyone looked horrible. It was bad, and, you know, I was thinking as we were watching it that part of the reason that the third season is so bad in many places is just that um, they they were either experimenting or letting the actors get away with too much or whatever, but why did they let William Shatner grow his hair that long? 
for the show. It looked mm-hmm. stupid. It just it was not attractive on him. It did not suit the character, and it was a real change from the haircut that he had had in the previous yes. two episodes. That was bad. You know, whatever they were doing with Nichelle Nichols' hair just looked really bad on yeah. her. It wasn't attractive. And, and it aged her. It did. It just wasn't good. And even with Scotchy, I mean... <laughs> The makeup was really bad, and they kind of gave him this new haircut that really wasn't mm-hmm. very attractive on him. I think, like, I don't know why things look that bad, but they did. They did. And you can see in the lighting that so often actors were standing in each other's shadow, yeah. and shadows were being thrown on them from all over the place, and that there was no texture to the lighting. No. Or in very few scenes was there a good texture to it. It was just very bright, very flat. It was, it was. And and speaking of bad hair and makeup on, on the woman guest star, Odonna, I mean, she's a pretty woman. You know, you could tell underneath the horrible yes. makeup that yes. she was really good looking, but they didn't do very much to make her look good no. at all. Bad eyebrows and a really bad, bad lipstick, and that hair was not really very attractive on her. Right. It's uh, you know, it's funny about the lighting because I think in the last couple of shows that we talked about, um, we were mentioning how good the lighting was mm-hmm. that there were either red washes on things or they did a really nice job with shadows from the side, and it, it just shows you that. When somebody good is in charge of the lighting, you actually notice that it's good, and it right. adds a whole different dimension to it. Well, you know, a friend of mine who worked in television for a while on the production side of it once told me something, and and I think you can kind of see this. She, she had worked in sitcoms, and she said, you know how there's a sitcom that's really hot and really funny and really sharp the first year, and then it falls apart? It's because at the end of the first year... They take all those really great writers they had and give them other shows to develop. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, the the second rank is yeah. coming in to now write. And I'm thinking certainly this show's in third season, and not in just the writing. There were some good episodes. But just in the general production value, mm-hmm. it was like nobody cared. Nobody, no. nobody wanted to experiment or do something really, really interesting that mm-hmm. added to the episode. No, totally. So it's a very interesting um, premise to this episode. It's a fascinating premise, and there are some very good things to this to this show. And I think the premise, the dilemma of the Gideons, mm-hmm. is is one of the strong points of the show. And as we were watching it, it was getting so talky, yeah. And we were going blah blah blah. Please shut up. Please get back to Kirk on the empty Enterprise. We were kind of wondering why why did we want to watch this. Why did we think this was so good? And we were realizing that for all the, the long, boring things and the bad makeup and lighting and everything, there are some incredibly striking scenes that mm-hmm. really stay with mm-hmm. you. They they did a really good job with Kirk wandering around on the empty Enterprise, not really mm-hmm. knowing what's going on and knowing that, that Odonna is somehow involved, but not really quite knowing what to do with her. And I thought it was really interesting in the very first meeting when he encounters her in the hallway, um, he's really impatient with her mm-hmm. and almost to the point of wanting to slap her. Like you can yes. just kind of see it in his movements and he even grabs her and she says, you're hurting me. And then he kind of backs off a little bit, but he's just so impatient wanting to know what's going on. And he clearly thinks that she's either behind it or she's lying or whatever, which actually turns out to be true. Yes. And so his first instinct yes. on that was absolutely correct. Well, and I want to share with our listeners what your comment was that I really enjoyed, which is he's winding around the enterprise all alone. And all of a sudden she comes sort of floating out of the <laughs> hall, you know, waving her arms and just looking the way she looks. And you went, Oh, Oh, good, a yoga instructor. <laughs> Which I think, yeah, that's that's the first person you would want to find is the ship's yoga instructor. 
when everything else goes wrong, you could really use... You could just do a little bit of downward dog. You would yeah, feel be so okay. much better. So you'll much be better. Okay. Um, the part, so it was really one of those episodes where there were two different things happening. So there's Kirk alone on the ship, and then he's with O'Donna and blah, blah, blah. And then there's Spock trying to deal with the two-faced um, chancellor or whoever he is. And, boy, there was an awful lot of bitchiness and... And, and repetitive... <sighs> At one point, McCoy repeated <laughs> Spock's line. It was it was it was really like I don't know an Abbott and Costello episode or something because Spock transports to the place where Kirk is, which is the duplicate of the Enterprise, and he says, "I'm on board the Enterprise," and Scotchy says, "On board the Enterprise? Yes, I'm on board an exact duplicate of the Enterprise." And McCoy says, "An exact duplicate <laughs> of the Enterprise?" <laughs> well, here's the other thing. This real this this was really just a dumb move on their part. Kirk beams down. And, you know, he's on board this duplicate. He doesn't know it's duplicate. He's trying to figure out what goes on. And he spends a long time trying to get information out of down and everything. And for some reason, Spock beams down and he goes, Oh, I am on a duplicate and I must find the captain before their experiment on him is finished. And you're like, What? Yeah, that was funny. And several times Spock serves as his own exposition police. Oh, where he absolutely. He just kind of brings everything to a halt and re- he goes over the plot and says what's going to happen next so just that we're all totally informed on what's going on. It was really funny, though, and I really didn't remember this, but when he's trying to negotiate um, with the ambassador, everybody else on the bridge is chipping in with these nasty, snide comments. <laughs> And we're sitting there giving each other the cut sign, you know, like, don't they know the frequency's open, especially Uhura? Really? Just making all these snarky comments? That was pretty funny. But, um, I'll tell you, some of the the, the more striking things, so we dwell on the positive. Oh, well, there are many positive things, and we'll get to all those good ones. And uh, one of the best is, um, this episode has a real Twilight Zone quality mm-hmm. to it that really gets gets kicked up into high gear when Kirk um, and Odonna kiss, of course, that's a great scene. But then we cut to the viewer and see all those faces. Mm-hmm. Which they don't see. Which they don't see. Yeah. And we see them a couple times before they do. And that just, you're sitting there going, what's going on? Why is he on this empty mm-hmm. em- enterprise? What is the deal? And then all of a sudden there's these spooky faces. Yeah, yeah. And that is spooky. It's really good. Definitely. There's some, there's some really good moments in here. And uh, there are moments where Kirk seems like he's on the verge of, of snapping when mm-hmm. they look through another view screen and they actually both see the faces for a moment and he's saying it, it it's like the sound is like the heartbeat of all these people but we're but you know they're not there and she says well you said we were moving through space and he says yeah I did and she says but there are people and he said yeah there could be people and and she gets really scared for yes. a minute like whoa he's crazy and so I, I thought that was well done both by the two actors I thought mm-hmm. they did a good job of playing that Yes, she does a good job. She's uh, she's good, and of, of course the kiss we have to talk about because we yeah. we rewound well, and watched. Oh, of course. Well, let me just back up for a second. Okay. One of, we, so we were watching um, J.K.'s tape, which was from the the sci-fi special editions from some years back, and there were little inserts of people yakking and talking oh, right, about the things. The insights. The insights. But one of the things that they said, which neither of us had realized, was that this episode was co-written by Stanley Adams, who was the actor who had played Cyrano Jones in The Trouble with Tribbles. Like, I know. Who knew? I didn't know he was a writer. I didn't either, so that was great. That was kind of cool. And I'm trying to remember if any of the other insights were really insightful. Um, Not really. Not really, but when um, in these sci-fi special editions, Bill is introducing them, and he was saying that 
this um, episode made many viewers uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I can certainly see why. And even watching it now, it is confronting um, a moral issue that I think is um, sort of at the heart of the so-called cultural wars mm -hmm. that, that's, that are going on in this country right now. Mm -hmm. So that was interesting to certainly see how far ahead of their times yeah. they were with that. Um, if you haven't seen this episode, um, I guess we should recap the plot really sure. briefly, which is the Enterprise goes to this planet called Gideon that wants to join the Federation. Kirk is supposed to beam down to start negotiations with them. They're, the Gideons are kidnapping him because he has... Um, he had one time had this terrible disease and he has the antibodies in his bloodstream now and they want to use him to infect the people of the planet because they're overpopulated. Overpopulated to the the point where you are literally never, ever, ever alone. There mm -hmm. are people crammed into every corner of every yeah. room. And she, O'Donna has a really nice little speech about she that, really which does. she delivers really yes. well. Um, so they're, they're going to keep him there to, to infect people with this. And you find out later that they have the power to kind of regenerate in their bodies and they have long lifespans. So hardly anybody ever dies except if they're really, really old. Um, and Kirk tries to kind of go down several different paths with them about this, including saying, well, the Federation can give you information about contraception and, the ambassador, the, the chancellor starts saying, well, you know, the life is the most precious thing to us and gives this nice little speech. And I was thinking, wow, a planet of Catholics. You yes, know? because it was pretty much a, a very a strict statement of the Catholic yeah. position on, on birth control. They're yeah. absolutely forbidden. So, yeah. so what they come to, and I mean, this is a very uncomfortable ending, which is that they decide that um, they, they cure O'Donna so she doesn't die of this terrible disease. But she does... Um, agree to serve as the source for the disease and that she will be giving it to other people. They'll be using her blood and that, that the people who are going to die are going to be young people who are like in their twenties who are going to volunteer mm -hmm. to contract this disease and, and die. So eventually actually commit suicide. Yes. So they're setting up a mass suicide plan on the planet so that there can be more room for other people. That's creepy. It is. It's very creepy and it's not at all the, the certainly there's no reset button and it's not at all the uh the happy we've tied up all the strings yeah. um ending that that you usually get yeah so it's kind of weird and, and everybody seems to go along with that i mean i kind of wondered whether there wasn't some other out like that the federation would agree to to take off you know hundreds of thousands of people and go have them live on other planets yeah or something. that's what i was thinking colonies you know something like just some way i don't know so yeah. that was just kind of a strange ending so um having said all that let's talk about the really good parts the sex yeah <laughs> okay the kiss on the bridge because it cuts over and we see other people watching they have to go back to them yeah. a couple of times and it's still going on I think it's one of the longer kisses. It is, and it's an open mouth kiss. And it's a good kiss. It's a really good he's kiss. He's taken his time. Definitely. And he's being very, very slow and touchy and kind of like holding her really, really close, but not crushing her, mm -hmm. you know, just holding her close. And he's doing that thing with his hands where he's kind of brushing them along her hairline yes. and along her shoulders, that and, very sexy thing he does. And when they break, he, he kind of looks down at her. Really, it looks like he's trying <laughs> to figure out, how does this, this dress work? How do you get this off? But, you know, of course, he's the captain of the ship and he's always thinking. And we know he's doing this because it is their duty to repopulate the ship. Yeah. They are the only two people on the ship, him and the ship's yoga instructor. Right. 
And so they have to do something about do it. it. And then right after that, <laughs> he puts his arm around her and they start leaving the bridge. We go to a very long, 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 long commercial. And we come back and they're coming out of somewhere. <laughs> you know and what? he says, and now what we have to do. And they're both happy. And they're both, both happy. really happy. So it's like, and now what we have to do. Okay, yeah. so what happened before this and now? Well, that's one of those pretty obvious. Yeah. Um, he wasn't pulling on his boots, but it was close enough. Now, the, I noticed. Also, that, remember uh, right before the kiss? Oh, I was going to say that. She said to him. Can, Can you make, make it last forever? And we're going, well, pretty damn close. Pretty He's willing good. to give it the try. He's going to try. Um, later in the episode, at the very end, when they're coming out of sickbay mm-hmm. after she's cured, mm-hmm. I think it's the same door that they were coming out of earlier after they got done fucking. So I think they were having sex in sickbay. Wow. Kinky. Yeah. On the bio beds that move and stuff like that. And they go... I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's where wow. they were coming out of, yeah. Wow. So, I mean, it could have been that they went and had sex in his quarters, and then they went and did it in the mess hall, and then in the rec room, and then, you know, wherever, and then they ended up in sickbay, and that's where we kind of caught them coming out of the, the door. Well, you know, in one of the, the profic novels, and I think it might be Enterprise, The First Adventure, mm-hmm. um... The night before Kirk is supposed to officially take command of the Enterprise, he sneaks on board with Carol. And the implication is that they do fuck somewhere. (laughs) And I'm thinking, yeah, certainly, you know, it's his ship, Mm -hmm. but normally there's 430 people (laughs) on it. Given the opportunity, I think he'd he'd mark some serious territory. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, he'd want to do it all over the place. And you figure by... (laughs) Later she says her thighs hurt. That's right. (laughs) There's, yeah, there's a scene where, where she's describing the pain of having this disease, and she said, there's great pain in my arms and my thighs, and we're like, oh, yeah, we know why that is. <laughs> totally. Because he was tying you up in a pretzel. Yeah, a happy pretzel. A very happy pretzel about an hour ago. Um, <laughs> I was th- so, so saying that because this is a third season episode, and presumably he's been captain for three years now, he's probably done it just about everywhere that it could be done on the ship, and you know, having done it everywhere that it could be done on the ship, he's probably got, what, like, 20 favorite places? Yeah. Maybe less, maybe more. Well, I'm thinking there are certain places, there have to be certain places on the Enterprise where there's always crew members. Obviously, the transporter is yeah. one of them because of all the things that happened there. But he's probably not been able to do it, like, out in the open in engineering. Mm-hmm, that's true. I don't think he would have been able to do it on the bridge. Yes, the bridge. Because there's always people on the bridge. Yeah. And that's a big fanfic thing, oh, yeah. is the sex on the bridge. Yeah, so I don't think it happened. But definitely in the turbo lifts. I mean, that's an obvious one. Yeah. In the Jeffrey's tubes. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that's, well, another, that's what they're for. Uh, yeah, they're definitely there. And, you know, just varies. Probably in the auxiliary phaser control room, because you only need that really when you're in battle. People don't have to be there. Right. So mm-hmm. there, you know, probably some of the stuff. The, uh, the observation deck. Uh, definitely. Know, oh, night, yeah. You know, definitely. I there. think I wrote a sex scene on the observation deck once. I think everybody has. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty irresistible, isn't it? It is. Yeah. 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 So the observation deck. You know, one of the things I was noticing, I thought this was kind of interesting. They're on the bridge together, and he's trying to get information out of her. And for the longest time in this episode, um, as you were pointing out, he sort of sees her as an adversary. He's trying to get mm-hmm. information, and I don't think he's really looking at her as, am I going to do her mm-hmm. or not, until they're on the bridge, and she's looking at the view screen and says, the stars are really <laughs> beautiful. And all of a sudden, yeah. turns, and it's like, this is the line you use on him. I mean, Edith <laughs> used it. Everybody used it. The, um, what's her name? Um, 
are you like that Captain Kirk grabbing the yeah. She used the line about the stars. You just have to, you know, look up and go, oh, pretty. And he's like, wow, you're my kind of woman. So now we know. That's now the line. That's, that's the line. That's the line that works every time. It's true. Oh, it happened just like that. And I was wondering, because I couldn't remember not having seen this episode in, in many years, you know, at the end of the episode, did he reveal to the other people some reason why he decided to seduce her? Like, he he thought he could get gain her trust, or there was some subterfuge in it, and J.K. rightly pointed out that it's his job. I mean, he's the captain. <laughs> yeah. It's She's one there. Of the perks. Yeah. <laughs> of course he's going to sleep with her. Yeah, I said it's like, you know, lunch hour. You're kind of stupid if you don't take yeah, it. She... You don't get extra credit for working through lunch. She's there. He's the captain. Nobody else around. Yeah. Take advantage of the situation. One thing I was disappointed in, though, one of the reasons we've been wanting to watch this episode is ages ago, someone wrote to us and said, you know, they had seen something, an EVE or or something really sticking out when he's walking down the hall of the Enterprise Mm -hmm. all alone. So I'm watching. And in what we saw, there were no full body shots of that. And I'm seeming to remember, maybe wishful thinking, that there was more of him wandering around the Enterprise trying to figure out what it was. But instead, we went pretty much very quickly from the transporter to one little bit in the hallway, which wasn't a full body shot, to the bridge. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking they chopped it, and they chopped that. Well, we could get the DVD. Yeah, We'd we rent it. Uh, but the thing is, you know, so many people have found that things aren't on the DVDs yeah. either that were, you know, in original. Yeah. I don't know. I, and I I remembered more of him wandering around the ship too. So maybe it would be worth it to try to get the DVD just to watch it and see if yeah. it matches up with that tape because those special editions were not supposed to be cut. They were, though. I know. They were. Now Which was a damn shame. Here's a question. This is something I had in my mind for years, and I thought that the episode had answered this question. I'd made up an answer in oh. my own head, but it never did. So I'm looking at my Star Trek compendium, which gives you a good synopsis of the episode and sometimes gives you some interesting uh-huh. background. And the one thing it's got here is uh, its last paragraph. One final mystery remains about this tale. The Gideons were obviously prepared to take extremely bizarre measures mm-hmm. to solve their overpopulation problem. But if their planet was really so incredibly crowded that people were willing to kill to enjoy a moment's privacy, where did Hoden and his council find the space to construct the duplicate of such a large vehicle as the USS Enterprise? Yeah, that's a really good question. And in my mind, I had somehow gotten it into my head that at some point in the episode, they said, you know, 5,000 people volunteered to commit suicide so there oh. would, you know, be room to, uh-huh. to do this. And they never do tell us. Wow. That's an excellent question. No, they never say anything about it. No. Nope. Not a thing. Huh. Anyway. I don't know. Um, can I point out one other thing, which is that when they finally do have their sit-down meeting, there's a picture of it in the book there, mm-hmm. at this glass-topped table, yes. there are many interesting shots from um, the camera being below the table, being sort of pointed up at Kirk, and I was wondering who the camera person was, and hopefully it was a camera woman <laughs> who was there crouching between his legs, shooting up to his beautiful face with the little camera. Yeah. Oh, another interesting thing that was in this episode, and actually if you watch, you'll see this in... Um, in many episodes, and I, I rewound it and made Lena watch it so she, mm-hmm. <laughs> she'd get the full effect. 
is at one point when Spock is in command on the bridge, standing behind him is his own standing. <laughs> and I've been told by someone who works in television that you're never supposed to have the stand-in in the same scene with the actor he stands in mm-hmm. for. But apparently you see this every now and then in Star Trek, and this person had told me, and I can't remember what, what episode it, it's in, but there's a bridge scene where the stand-ins mm-hmm. for Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are all there. And you can tell because... They have the same basic coloring. Mm-hmm. They're the same height, same sort of build, the same uniform colors. I mean, if, if it was Kirk and you looked really closely, you'd see the two and a half uh-huh. stripes. <laughs> so that's, that's just a little something you can watch for, too, is um, Revenge of the Stand-Ins. <laughs> I wanted to say one other thing, which is sort of a tangent to this, uh, but I noticed it in this episode. One of the things that I think the original series was better at than the ones that followed was that um, the actors that they hired to do roles of aliens in particular, had interesting accents. Mm-hmm. And usually interesting um, and unusual facial features. Yeah. So this guy, who was the, the chancellor guy, he had a little accent. Mm-hmm. It was sort of an Eastern Europeanish thing, you know, mm-hmm. slightly British. but A not, little bit plummy. A little bit plummy. And it was just neat, you know, because you would figure, even with the universal translator, there's going to be some sort of accent thing going on. And I thought... In Amok Time, Celia Lovsky, who played T'Pau, what a great accent she had. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was exactly the sort of thing you would expect from someone who only learned this other language because it was out of pure necessity for whatever reason. She learned it from a tape in her car. Exactly. Same way I learned French. Yeah. And and that was just so very, very interesting. And I think they did that fairly often. They actually gave people real accents. And um, in subsequent series, I don't think they really did that very much. In subsequent series, I think they were focusing so much in doing those prosthetics on actors' faces, yeah. giving them ridges and spots and this, that, and the other thing, that they really they were relying on the hardware rather than on mm-hmm. the actors, which was a shame. It really was. Even amongst the crew, there were very few people who had actual accents, so there was... O'Brien, who is Irish, who mm-hmm. was an authentically Irish actor, Colm Meany. Right. And there was, um, you know, Bashir, who had this English accent, mm-hmm. and the actor, Sid, actually talks like that. But other than them, I really couldn't remember people who didn't have flawless Americanized English. Well, excepting Picard. I'm leaving right. him out of the picture. And Troy, who has this weird mid-Atlantic thing going yeah. on. But they just never encountered people who didn't speak completely flawless accentless English. How boring! Yes. Like, yes. that's bad. It was kind of, and, yeah, it's kind of a boring universe. After yeah, that. you would think that, that's, that seems to me one of the easiest ways to convey otherness. Well, and Nimoy, his career prior to Star Trek, he did play a number of aliens just because he looked yeah, different. He looked different. And in many ways, I, I, I've just said before that watching TOS and a lot of early TV reminds me of my time in very cheap non-union summer stock <laughs> where it's it's make do you know whatever you yeah. can do and in a way that it, 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 it taps into your creativity to make some yeah. things believable that aren't really believable to to work with what you have because you don't have the money the time the resources mm-hmm. to throw at it to build a real alien so you've got to get somebody who's got some alienness to them yeah. and hope they can you know punch that up. And I think that they did. I'm, I'm now I'm go- mentally going through like different aliens who appeared on TOS who didn't have that much makeup. In um, Journey to Babel, the guy who played the ambassador, the Andorian, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they had the weird wigs and the blue makeup, but he had a really interesting accent. He had a character going, too. You know who was the best aliens, I bet, in recent memory, and they weren't on Star Trek? 
But it really, they did a little bit with makeup, but most of the alienness came from what the actors did. Which? Galaxy Quest. Oh, yeah, totally. The Thermians, yeah. the way they moved, the way they smiled, the way they spoke, everything. Everything, their vocal inflections It was were like they, they'd learned it from watching other things. Yeah, it, from it watching TV perfect. shows. <laughs> it worked perfectly. Yeah, I agree with you. There, there really, there should be more of that. There really should be more of that. And, and I lament that. And I've been trying to think of just other, other things that got representations in different tracks. And even on Deep Space Nine, where it was like this confluence of different aliens who were supposed to be there, they never really pushed it that much. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a huge missed opportunity. And no Australians. Well, <laughs> well. What's up with that? And, you know, I didn't watch much of Deep Space Nine. I think I saw two episodes. But it seems to me that the aliens that were there, like Kira and, um, and Dax... Except for the physical features that they built onto the actors, mm-hmm. they had no alienness to no, them. No, they really didn't, and and they missed that. You know, Sunbeam always says that um, the Bajorans were really boring aliens. Like you would never want to watch a TV show that was like the Bajoran Andy Griffith show, <laughs> but you would damn damn well want to watch the Klingon Andy <laughs> Griffith show. <laughs> Hell yeah. yeah! Wouldn't that be great? With Aunt B, and she put like B apostrophe <laughs> Aunt B. <laughs> Well, you know, the other thing we were talking about is this episode is very talky, oh, blah, 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 blah. And one of the things that struck me was the format of television, which is if you're going to do a drama, it has to be a one-hour show. We, I don't think there are any half-hour dramas, and there are no one-hour sitcoms. Twilight Zone was half an hour. Okay. All right. And even some of those seem talking. But <laughs> anyway... When you look at, you know, 60s TV, like we had watched some Here Comes the Bride oh, and God. some of these oh. other older things, Bonanza, some of the things, you know, that I watched as a kid and, and we thought were interesting. You watch them, you're going, these, they just talk so much. They're so boring and they are padding because there's not enough script There's not around. enough script to go around for an hour. And I'm thinking, what's the problem? And then I thought, you know, maybe it's a um, kind of a format thing. It's, it's like you can write a short story or you can write... A novel, yeah. But to write that middle, it, I think it's hard to build a story that that paces correctly for that. And maybe that's where the one-hour drama falls. It might be easier to to squeeze it into a, mm-hmm. a tight focus sitcom, or to blow it up really big and make a movie. That's true. You know, it's funny. I think one of the reasons, and this is a little bit off topic, but um, that the Law and Order series that especially law and order by itself was so successful what is basically two half hour shows that were stitched Mm. together the first half was the cops going out and getting somebody and the second half was the trial and they were linked by the case but it was really two shows in one and it was always a drama and it it had enough in common that you could follow it but it was different enough so that it was actually like watching two shows in succession and there's really something to that and you know what else that they do now in um in modern one-hour dramas that I don't think they did much of, if any, back in the 60s, is, well, like, to, to cite Boston Legal as our episode, is to have multiple stories yeah, going on. Yeah. And so you're moving from one to the other, and that does fill the hour. There isn't as much filler talk, mm-hmm. um, reprising information, or just blah, 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 because you're hopping from story to story to yeah. story. Whereas those older stories, episodes or dramas were, were very linear yeah, you know, we very start at the beginning we go through to the end and we follow this one plot mm-hmm. i think trek 
uh, as time went on, started to do that more and more. They certainly did it on TNG, where there was usually the main plot, and then there was some kind of subplot that was happening. And a lot of the subplots were relationship-based, mm-hmm. like somebody was having an argument or, you know, whatever. And um, they certainly did it on DS9 a lot. There were always multiple plot threads running along, and mm-hmm. you had to keep up with what was happening with the characters and their little circles of intrigue. And I never watched Voyager enough to know what was going on there. Of the ep- Enterprise episodes, they seemed pretty linear, too. Mm-hmm. But they seemed a lot more concerned with um, blowing things up. <laughs> I don't know. And coming up with ridiculous plot things. and just So uh, that they know. could get their clothes off. Yeah, yeah, that for sure. So, I, I don't know. I think the multiple plot lines thing, or the plot with the subplot, is interesting if you can pull it off. And they're mm-hmm. both equally interesting. Where it falls down is when you have... One plot that's really good and one plot that's really boring. And clearly the boring one is there just to kind of fill the time mm-hmm. while you're waiting for the big plot to take off or, right. or time to pass. Or well, something it's like, like when that. we were watching the recent Boston Legals, as you notice towards the end of, a, of an arc, that that whole Michael J. Fox story never... Oh, it petered out like nothing. It like, was boring. It was like, okay, he was there, we went through this thing with the blonde, and then he's apparently gone away to die, goodbye. Yeah. And so there really wasn't much development much arc to that it was just sort of present yeah and it ended very ended with a whimper yeah (laughs) and not a bang yeah not at all that was very disappointing the way that ended so i mean gosh it must be hard to write tv drama you know to come up with something that you know you have to fill however many minutes it Mm -hmm. is and make sure you get all your exposition in and that it's clear and that it's got to go in these nice clean segments for commercials yeah yeah i I think it it must be difficult but i still think they could be doing a better job of it (laughs) Let me just get that criticism in there. I couldn't do it, but I think the people who are doing it should be doing a <laughs> Wait, better you think job. The people who are getting paid must should be able to do a better job. Than yeah, that. yeah, definitely. Oh, so there, we did an episode. Yay! Yay! Let's pick a better episode next time, though. Okay. Oh, I don't know what we can do, but we, we'll find let's, one let's, that will just let's not do knock our a third off. season episode. I'm yeah. Do... You know, we haven't done a second season. Okay. So we'll do one of those. Yeah. Um, it has to be one where Kirk gets some. Okay, well that eliminates three episodes. <laughs> he didn't get any Journey to Babel, did he? See, he, I did, he did a mad at some point. <laughs> oh, we immediately agreed that he did the actress in Mark of Gideon. Oh, totally. 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 Yeah, it was very obvious. Just so that you guys know that. Yeah. Oh, okay, and speaking of who he did... Um, somebody on the Shatner BBS had posted screen caps from an interview he did in the 80s when he was king of the Mardi Gras. <laughs> and he was interviewed by Marriott Hartley. Uh-huh. And so it's um, it's caps with the two of them, neither of them looking really good, but apparently they were laughing and having a good time. And so I was thinking, you know, if he didn't do her in the show, because he had no scenes with that character, uh-huh. I think he probably deliberately did her during the interview okay. or before or after just to make up for not oh, getting yeah. to her in the show. Yeah. And just because maybe he suspected Leonard had. He that doesn't be. like to lose. That's right. That's right. So. <sighs> um, so let's see. I think we've got one more thing. Do you want to just talk about this? No, let's, let's do it in the next segment. Okay. All right. So we're going to take our break and we'll be back with a little bit of a wrap up. Thank you. 
sex. Fifty bucks. And now, ladies and gentlemen, to wrap ladies and germs. Up, I was going to say that. To wrap it up, we have one very short thing that we just wanted to deal with because it's news, and we feel like we should say it. Um, I was at the store today buying Snickerdoodles. No, <laughs> it's true. And that's in the news. That's in the news. Lena Taylor buys Snickerdoodles. Um, you know why? Because I went to the supermarket where there's a Starbucks because I wanted coffee, and I got a cup of coffee, and I wanted a Snickerdoodle, and the Starbucks Snickerdoodles are really good, but they were out. But there I was in the supermarket, so I just walked over to the bakery section anyway. Um, and so I'm standing in line waiting to check out where they have all the tabloids, and here's a copy of The Globe, and right on the front cover is a story about William Shatner, and it says, Shatner's wife murdered. Drowning was no accident. He didn't do it, so who did? There's a new investigation. We had heard about this before. Yeah, this has been in the news um, about a week or so, mm-hmm. and apparently this person who calls himself an investigator but is really just a star fucker. Uh, a celebrity whore. yeah. Um, has announced that he's got new evidence, and on Bill's birthday, he is going to hold a press conference on the set of the USS Enterprise (laughs) to reveal this new information. And I'm going, you know, if you have real information, could there be a stupider way of making sure you're taken seriously or or thought to be a dope? And I know if I just, you know, called the San Jose Mercury News and said, you know, I have evidence that William Shatner's wife was murdered, I'm pretty sure the LAPD would be pressing yeah. that information like now. They wouldn't be waiting for Bill's exactly. birthday. So at the very end of this article, there is a quote from um, LAPD detective Mike Coffey, who initially investigated Noreen Shatner's death. He says he has no plans to review the case unless he receives new evidence. And, you know, he says every case is always open to new information, which is what he has to say. Yes. But it just it's such a cheap and shoddy thing to do. It really is. Um, and if, if you hadn't read the facts of this, you know, his third wife, Noreen, had a, a pretty sizable drug and alcohol problem. And she was in and out of rehab. And um, the story of what happened the night that she died was that she was really, really drunk. And she dived into the pool and she hit her head and she drowned. And I, the police are pretty satisfied that that's pretty much what happened. I mean, it happens to people all the time when they're mm-hmm. drunk. You know, they fall into the pool and they drown because they're yeah. really drunk. So, anyway, um, just thought we'd point that out. I will say one thing, though, that the picture that they chose to use of William Shatner is actually a pretty nice picture. Mm -hmm. It looks like it's recent, and maybe he's had a little work done or something, but he's looking pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's nice to see. Yes. It's it's just kind of ugly, and I think I want you to share what this guy's other credits are. Oh, yeah. It says, um, this guy, he calls himself a celebrity homicide investigator, so... I guess that means he's not a celebrity, but the homicides that he investigates are of celebrities, right? Right, and they're always things that the police and the officials don't think are homicides. Yeah, so he investigated... He's never brought in on a real murder. No, no, he's like one of those psychic detectives. (laughs) Yeah. He investigated the 1981 drowning of Natalie Wood for a book concluding she was murdered. He also looked into the 1984, quote, brain hemorrhage, unquote, death of Richard Burton, which he calls suspicious. Now, I'm not... That maybe the, the former, the latter. I don't think too many people were thinking that Richard Burton dying of a brain hemorrhage was really very suspicious at all, considering the life he had led. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Now you don't have to buy the Globe. Don't give them any right, of your money. Right. Just a, a cheap publicity hungry. Yeah. Uh, sort of person taking their their shot. Although I will say, if you're like me and <laughs> you you like a little bit of um, 
other type of schadenfreude in the back pages of this are um, pictures of actresses without any makeup on. And they look pretty bad. <laughs> well, you know, some of them look bad and some of them just look like regular people. Yeah. And that, you know, is probably worse to them than looking yeah. bad. Yeah, I mean, Jennifer Lopez just pretty much looks like a normal person. Mm-hmm. Callista Flockhart looks pretty bad. She looks bad. Really yeah. bad. So, anyway, just had to point that out. Yes. <laughs> so now to... to so now, moving along. on a happier note. A much happier note. This was such a popular feature <laughs> a couple of shows back that we decided to, to do a little more of it, or actually to do the whole thing, <clears throat> which is, if you remember, we were fortunate Fortunate enough yes. to get an interview with Marjorie Kirk, You're right? Jim's mother, his mom, and people just loved her, and they they want to know more about what she has to say because she's got a lot to say. She has a lot to say. So we'll do this interview right now. <clears throat> Why? Why do you think your son wanted to go to the stars? Well, he was born on Far Side, where the light from Earth cannot be seen. The stars there. Well, they are magnificent, astonishing, intimidating to some. He grew up looking at them day and night out every port. Earth was something he saw on a television screen or in a hologram. You mean Earth was an abstraction? Yes and no. He grew to love it when we went downside. But it was always rather an exotic place to him, not good old Earth as we knew it. I suppose that gave him a taste for... Exotic places, strange people, unusual life forms. I remember the first time he saw a skunk. For some reason, he'd never seen or paid any attention to pictures of them. And you have none on the moon colonies. That's right. He saw that thing and, you guessed it, it was his first encounter with a hostile life form. Did you encourage him in any way to go into space? No, he didn't need it. It was something we all understood. If anything, I guess we discouraged him. Didn't work, I'm happy to say. Now, his brother George was the same, only he set himself limits. George wanted to go out, see some of what there was to see, find a fine woman, and settle down on some interesting planet and have a family. So, you see, not every person who longs to travel to the stars wants to keep on traveling to the stars. George and his wife, Orlan Swift, are dead now? Yes, but their son Peter, he's about to enter the Starfleet Academy soon. How did your son James get into the Academy? He was rather young, wasn't he? Yes, quite young. Of course, Starfleet has its share of youthful geniuses. Geniuses in math, in computers, in science. I'm not saying Jimmy was a genius, but he certainly wasn't dumb. I suppose, um... Well, if you were to look for a single label, I'd say, um, generalist. He specialized in everything. Of course, history always fascinated him. Those who do not know history are condemned to repeat it. That was one of his favorite sayings. So he entered the academy. Yes. He was thought quite exceptional. Jay Mallory was a young admiral then, about Jimmy's age now, I'd say. He was the one who really sponsored Jim. Wasn't there a slight, um, scandal involving him while he was at the Academy? Oh, dear. Things are never really forgotten, are they? Which one do you mean? There are more than one. Oh, yes, I'm afraid so. He was always, um, popular with women. His father was a little like that. 
But I suppose, well, I suppose you mean the computer simulator scandal. Yes. Well, it wasn't a scandal, you see. He reprogrammed the computer so that he could win, that's all. Not what the staff had in mind, but he did get a recommendation for ingenuity. Now, about those women... Oh, no. Jim knew a lot of women. He attracted them, and when he was a cadet and midshipman, too, not just when he got to be a captain. But he wasn't serious about any of them. Now, he has stated in his autobiography and elsewhere that he was in love with several women. Yes, that's true. But not enough to settle down. I doubt if Jim will ever settle down until they drag him off a bridge. And you know what? These warp drive ships are getting less expensive all the time. I wouldn't be at all surprised if he just kept on doing what he's been doing. But as a civilian... What do you mean? Oh, get himself a nice, speedy little ship. Maybe one of those Explorer-class ships. Or perhaps recondition an old scout ship. Something like that. Then just take off again. There are plenty who would go with him, I'm certain. Whom do you mean? Women? I wouldn't know about that. But I meant his shipmates. People he knew, people he trusted. Jim's always been a great one for trusting people. But not in any foolish way. People are people, he said to me once. You learn what they're like, then trust them to behave like themselves. Then he laughed and said, except when they surprise you. (laughs) But I wouldn't be the least surprised if he just up and took off. Probably call the ship the Enterprise 2. He really loved that starship. Tell us more about him at the Academy. Well, he worked hard. Played hard, too. He was very ambitious, but it was... At least to me, a curious yet commendable ambition. If he got somewhere into some position of command, he would have more control over his life. A starship captain is one of the last free creatures yet. Yet in many ways, the most bound of entities. He commands immense power. A starship like the Enterprise can devastate a planet. Yet he must use that power most selectively. I think Jim is the perfect starship commander. He's strong. Men and women follow him, not because of his rank, but because they want to, because they see in him a true leader. Look at his long friendship with Mr. Spock. Jim certainly acknowledged the Vulcan's superior intellect, but the two of them were a team, each complimenting the other. Spock saw in Jim that quality of leadership which the whole system, the whole Federation has admired. You sound the proud mother. Well, of course I am, Ms. Warren. Wouldn't you be the proud parent of such a man? We bore a famous son, but a good man, too. A kind and sensitive man. He did what he had to do. End of story. Yay. I'm so glad we could get Marjorie back on the show. It was great. You know, I think she's Mar- a delightful woman. She is, and I'm, and I really think she should take that as a one-woman show out on the road. <laughs> Maybe Marjorie can get her own podcast. That would be great. <laughs> Where she watches episodes and then tells us that's not how it happened. <laughs> not at all. That's not how he told me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never knew about that part. <laughs> Oh, that was really fun. I'm glad we did that. We need to have more interviews with Kirk's mother. <laughs> that can be a semi-regular feature on the show. Yeah, but now we'll have to start making it up. That's okay. We can do that. We're good at making shit up. Yes, we are. Oh, my goodness. Okay.
Okay. Well, I think we've just about gone through whatever what it was we, we were. We had quite a list, and we worked through we most worked, of it. We worked through a lot of stuff. We still have some more stuff that we're going to watch for next time, some more um, Shatnerific stuff. And um, we are going to get around to, to talking about a movie, and it could be a Star Trek movie or Galaxy Quest or maybe Free Enterprise or something. Oh, I forgot to tell you. Yes. Um, so <clears throat> I went to the comic book convention last weekend in San Francisco to WonderCon, and at the table there, I um, ran into a guy who was advertising for the DVD release of Free Enterprise, mm-hmm. the, the re-release of it. Right. And with we, special Yeah, features. with special stuff, and we chatted about it a little bit, and he said that um, the last he had heard from Mark and Rob was that um, they were definitely getting rolling now on Free Enterprise 2, and that hopefully it was really going to happen. Fantastic. Yeah, so that was cool, but the, the DVD set looks like it's going to be really good. There's all kinds of extras, all kinds of really good stuff in it, so I'm very very excited. So maybe when that comes out, we'll have to do a review. We'll do it then, and we'll talk about all the cool stuff that comes with it. Well, and also we were saying, um, in the summer when Boston Legal goes into reruns, it would be kind of fun to review the whole series of TOS movies, yeah, or or things like that. I think that would be good, and we should talk about Trekkies too. Um, and we haven't seen Trekkies two, no, the sequel, but too. we saw the first one. But we saw the first one, and it was better, a lot better than we thought it was going to be, because we were yes. both really scared of watching that. Uh, but there were there were some pretty good things about it, mm-hmm. so I'm glad we saw it. Yep, cool. So keep sending us the look at his butt in languages. Please, we would like to get quite a collection for yeah. that. And um, the comatose captain. We still have mm-hmm. plenty of holidays available for mm-hmm. comatose captain. Mm-hmm. Buy your t-shirts. Yes, please. Uh, we haven't heard yet if there's going to be a Shatner weekend, so you could still be signing up for that. Yeah, we're we're waiting. Hopefully, it will happen, and we'll yep. be going and meeting him. And meeting you. And meeting you, that's right. And um, keep looking for information about the Creation Con in Sacramento in October. I checked there about a week ago. They still don't have the regular tickets on sale yet. Mm-hmm. And there's very little other information about who's going to be there with the exception of Shatner and Nimoy. Right. Yeah. So, who knows? But Lockwood will probably be there. <laughs> hey, Gary, remember us? Yeah. Remember us? Of course he will. <laughs> oh, my God. He'll never stop. He'll never, ever stop. I'm going to leave you talking to him. I'm going to go oh God. to the con, and I'll just come back every now and then and run past with a microphone with Gary going, and I don't give a shit who knows it. Then I'll go off, and I'll come back an hour later, and I don't okay, give okay. a shit who knows it. I'm trying to imagine myself explaining to Gary Lockwood why we have a podcast called Look at His Butt. And it's not about and his butt. And it's not about his butt. <laughs> well, as soon as we get Maynard to reveal to us how he explained the show we'll to the Kirk and McCoy. That. They'll have our little, you know, script. That'll this that'll help us work up how we explain it to other people. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, so um, that was great, and we'll be back pretty soon with another show. Yep.
I do! Ah!